0: Welcome to the 66th episode of the Hail Married podcast. I'm A. Toves, and I'm joined by my husband, The Toves. We're back to recap UTSA's first win over FAU. Let's get started. It wasn't a pretty win, but it was a complete win. UTSA had to overcome self-inflicted errors on offense, but an impressive game on defense and a solid game on special teams was more than enough to secure the win. For the second week in a row, UTSA started out on offense with a long, methodical drive capped off by a rushing touchdown from Robert Henry. FAU was held to a field goal on their first drive, but then disaster nearly struck as the next two offensive drives for UTSA ended in interceptions. Fortunately, FAU was only able to turn one of those turnovers, a pick six, into points briefly giving FAU a 10-7 lead in the first quarter. However, the Owls would not score again, as UTSA's defense would impose their will on FAU. The Roadrunners held FAU to 162 yards of offense, caught two interceptions, and scored a safety. On offense, UTSA would add two touchdown receptions by Willie McCoy and Taiki Ogle-Kellogg, one rushing touchdown from Rocco Griffin, and two field goals to seal the win, 36 to 10. The Roadrunners improved to 3-0 in conference play, 4-3 and overall. What were your thoughts in the game?
1: Well, we talked about this being a measuring stick game, you know, that there was this, I guess, this feeling of, at least for me, that we really hadn't shown much in the first two conference games. Mostly because you have, essentially, when you look at the standings, you have two of the, bottom three teams that we've mm-hmm. played to start out AAC play so yeah I mean of course we should have come away with wins of course this should have been somewhat impressive in in the way this we scored on those teams but it just didn't feel like this team had yet shown anything mm-hmm. again always easy to beat up on a bad team but once you you go up against somebody that's more evenly matched just like you stated in the preview this felt like it was much more of a well, trailer did say it, too. He's like, it kind of felt like this was going to be a game in the 20s or 30s, you know, in the 30s. You know, I predicted 24-23. I thought this was going to be a very close game, mm-hmm. which Frank was going to be, where Frank was going to be, like, the difference maker in it. And because of it, I mean, it didn't necessarily, I think, really shine through, I, I think. Uh, most of it was probably because he has just more weapons. And he's he really is just a much better quarterback than Daniel Richardson. But... Daniel Richardson really didn't stand a chance because, I mean, he was essentially, him and his dad bod, as you put it, were (laughs) under pressure from this UTSA front seven from the start, and he just didn't have a shot.
0: Yeah, I don't think either one of us expected the defense to play as well as they did against FAU. You know, it was a good surprise to see that. Um, We both thought this was going to be a much closer game because we thought there would be more opportunity for FAU to score, but you Trey Moore and Donye Taylor, again, looked like they hadn't been injured at all, and they just had wonderful games, and because of that, like you said, Daniel Richardson did not stand a chance, and that offensive line that has played very well against other teams just did not hold up.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think that was a surprising part was, while it was a well-rated offensive line, I don't know, I guess either we overrated it ourselves when mm-hmm. we were doing the preview. I don't think we did. I, I think it was just really that dominant. Yeah. Uh, because you look back at UAB's non-existent offensive line and Temple's non-existent uh, existent line, and you see the difference. You see an EJ Warner that clearly is much better than Daniel Richardson and just how he torched this UTSA defense. You look back at, you know, Jacob Zeno and he just he made some good passes in order to get them in the good spots. In this case here, it really looked like FAU on offense even when we did give them opportunities to make plays, it looked like, you know, UTSA from ages ago right. where we'd be like right within a contest, but then you make one key drop and it just snowballed and we got blown out from there and that's the way it went with FAU I mean they had a few drop passes that were not Daniel Richardson's fault you even asked me at one point is this on Richardson I said no I mean I I don't know how you can put it in the in a better spot and Mm -hmm. you know just not expect the receivers to catch it there so they really shot themselves in the foot and one thing that you have to be against UTSA even when they're not rolling on defense is the fact that you've got to be able to be efficient on your own offensive end, because if you allow UTSA to kind of get rolling on offense and continue to just keep your defense on the field, you're in for a long night, and that's really what it came down to with this uh, UTSA offense.
0: It's not like UTSA didn't give them opportunities. I mean, there were two interceptions and a fumble, Right. and they really didn't capitalize on those. I mean, obviously they capitalized on the pick six, but you know they should have had 14 points right there you know in the first quarter and then it would have been the narrative of UAB again where except we would have been UAB yeah, in that scenario right
1: right yeah and, and I, I think that's that's you know the bigger takeaway here too is i even though it, it didn't seem like when we went down 10 to 7 that they were in control of the game it still felt like UTSA was in control mostly because you know at least to me it just felt like the defense was just playing so lights out that you're oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, there's just, it's this, this just not going to get out of control. Like, you know, UTSA's offense will figure out what's going on. Frank will snap out of his little funk and then we'll get back to being UTSA.
0: All right, before we get into talking about the defense, let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the crowd size. Because when you looked at the crowd for the FAU game, it looked very very sparse. You know, I think officially they said it was somewhere around 18,000, but it was not an impressive crowd.
1: Just like Temple, it's a Temple was 18k, FAU 17k, the UAB game that we were watching against Memphis was just really bare. You know, the problem is is right now I think in the American and what we get fooled into thinking is that you have to have a good home crowd because most of these teams are not traveling, especially the conference USA teams. their fans just do not travel
0: right.
1: You know, obviously Texas State travel because they're right down the highway. sure. Uh, but you know, in this case, I think this is where we also need to kind of pump the brakes a little bit on getting disappointed when you know it's reported that uh, you know U say home game only had twenty three k, FAU and Temple would kill for those type of crowds. Because, like I said, right now, for UTSA, it was 18K at Temple and then 17K for FAU. I mean, it's just not like...
0: And they don't have the luxury of having a dome so that the sound resonates. Right. It probably sounded like 18,000. But you put those 18,000 in the dome, it would sound like 30,000.
1: Right. And I think that's the reason why I just wanted to bring this up, too, about the crowd size. Because, you know, we're complaining about the lowest attendance you know of the season but that happens around this point in time around october you get a couple of lulls in the attendance and then all of a sudden start shooting up as we start playing better football right but i don't think it's that so much as the fact that you also just don't have like i said right now crowds that travel and and therein lies a problem but if you're at another school you wish you had the problems that utsa is having sure
0: all right, let's get into talking about the defense. Um, you said one of the keys to the defense was to contain LaJounte Wester. It seemed like he was a non-factor this game.
1: I mean, I think at one point we did look at each other and I said, "Has how many catches has he made? And I, you gave me the stats at the time and I was like, really? Because even I was, con- I was confused the entire time about the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, he just didn't seem to be in their game plan. But then I was like, well. Lepp came through and said, I heard your toes, and he figured out some way of, you know, covering Wester, but therein lies the other problem is, you know, we kind of talked about the fact that there really wasn't too many game breakers on mm-hmm. the FAU end, and once he took away Lejante, it felt like there really, they, Dana Richardson really had nobody else, and you said it, you, and this is why I want to bring this up, because you emphasized the fact that he really doesn't throw to many other receivers, right. mostly Wester.
0: Um, the second thing you said was, get pressure on the quarterback. I think it's safe <laughs> to say that we did.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, you saw you saw what happened. First of all, let's go back to what we just said about LeJante, right? He didn't have time to get the ball out to Wester or even find some other wide receiver or even tight end. And then, I'm not going to say he was running for his life because he, you know, seemed to be huffing and puffing a little bit at times. <laughs> but he just didn't. He couldn't get away. I mean, he's yeah. he's not a mobile quarterback. So, you know, that kind of really leads into me, you know, kind of one of the strengths of the UTSA defense. If they don't have to chase a guy around. Man, they look dominant. I mean, look at yeah. what we did to EJ Warner, right? EJ did get the ball off at times. fell back into a less aggressive defense. But you noticed that when you're playing more of a statue of a quarterback, this UTSA defense looks amazing
0: yeah and you know particularly on that safety richardson laid there for a while man i it looked like he was rethinking his life choices <laughs> <laughs> he's like i don't know if i want to get up or just get smacked again
1: <laughs> it was uh it was it felt like he should have been touching his dad bod and go on is everything still there i don't know because I, I i mean i don't I know how many more kids Frankly, he could take
0: he is lucky that he is as big a guy as he is because can you imagine like ej warner was a super skinny kid. Can you imagine Joe Evans coming at E.J. Warner? I mean, at least, like, Richardson could absorb <laughs> more of that. Like, Joe yeah. Evans is a – he's a solid guy himself.
1: I, I don't know what I would have done if I see Joe Evans coming at me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I might just throw the ball over in the air and run. Um, hit myself – hit my helmet on the bottom of the end zone. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, let's talk real quick. Some some of the stats for the defense, you know, 12, 12 drives – 11 stops in those drives. I mean, essentially, this defense only gave up a field goal. And even then, uh, you know, I kind of felt like they should have made the stop earlier in that drive. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we'll we'll give it to them. They they, they were able to score. Um, But the two interceptions, we got the first one first on both of them. First one for Owen Peewee in his career. And weirdly enough, the first one for Nick Troy Fortune as a roadrunner. Right. He's been here two now, almost two seasons, and it felt like I thought he had one last year, but I apparently not. <laughs> it's one of those things where you know you, you see that there's turnovers, and uh, you know I, I would have I would have incorrectly guessed in any sort of trivia contest that Nick Choi for, Fortune had already had his first interception as a Roadrunner. This FAU O line, we've kind of already talked about it, but I'm still stunned just how easily it felt like Nick Booker Brown, Joe Evans, you know, name, any name on the defensive line was just kind of shooting through.
0: Yeah, I mean, even at the end of the game, Ty Leonard had a sack. Yeah. You know, they had only given up nine sacks all year. And in this game, there were five, with 13 tackles for loss.
1: Gotta give us that Herman uh, post-game quote that you liked.
0: Oh yeah, he said, when we did block, we didn't hit the hole right and i'm not saying that we did that very often but when we did we dropped passes a comedy of errors on that side of the football we got hit in the mouth and didn't respond yeah that sums it up right there yeah
1: yeah no i mean you know as much as as much as we want to like nitpick in areas it's hard to because i'm not really sure what this defense could have done additionally maybe scored a touchdown but i mean again that is like nit nit nitpicking like yeah. i i I love the fact that it seemed like it was a return to the first two games uh, of UTSA defense that you know was just pinning their ears back and they just went they just got after a quarterback. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. there are a
0: couple more opportunities where they probably should have gotten an interception. I, I think there was one where maybe Cam Alexander and Rashad kind of collided. And, yeah, but I mean they were just ballhawks all night.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Trey Moore, a total of nine sacks a season. He's closing in on Hicks' single-season record of 10.5 sacks. By the way, there are still, what, five games left in the season?
0: I know, yeah. He just (laughs) has to get one and a half more sacks to beat that record. So I think it's pretty safe to say that that record's going down, Clarence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk special teams.
0: Yeah, great play by special teams. Two field goals made mid-30s range that was the range that chase allen missed um last game they didn't give up any big returns and i gotta say we got to see tate Sandel once again tackle someone on a kick return so you know maybe uh tate Sandel is going to follow in hunter Duplessis, you know
1: footsteps footsteps <laughs> yeah
0: after all i mean you know we just we're watching in the replay, and I didn't catch it the first time we watched it, but, again, we're watching the replay. It was in the fourth quarter, and see, you know, somebody code to tackle a kick returner. We're like, is that tape? Yep, that's tape. Yep.
1: I feel like when he goes to kick it off, he's just kicking it short at times so he can go make the tackle so he can get his, you know, <laughs> uniform dirty so he can say that he played uh, because, I mean, that kid that kid is outracing some of these other uh some of the other coverage guys.
0: Yeah, and I love
1: it. Um, <laughs> uh, I love the spark from Tate Sandell. Tate, keep it up, man. Um, all right, let's talk about the offense. Um, keys to the game, winning the trenches, forty-three rushes, one hundred seventy-six yards. Uh, they didn't give up any sacks. That pretty much tells you the story of the game. Mm-hmm. Winning on the offensive line, winning on the defensive line. This um, again, this is why I felt like really felt like this was a much more complete game than UAB again an FAU team that seemed just a a lot better and I think you know what you said uh, what you quoted from Tom Herman was was right they got hit in the mouth and they did really didn't know how to respond and you know the next key to the game I said was a big game from Devin McCune he's a leading receiver five catches 64 yards look I what i was looking for from him was mostly to make some big plays mm-hmm. and i really felt like he did granted taiki comes in you know catches like a 40 plus yard touchdown pass which we'll get to here in a second but devin seemed like a force early on when the right. game was still you know early and both teams were kind of feeling each other out with a few kind of like little light punches at each other devin was coming through with a lot of big catches and i think the big thing from to take away from that is the fact that Frank didn't hesitate at all to throw Devin's way. That's big. I I didn't see him really looking at Josh Cephas. I saw him looking at Devin McCune, and I think that should scare the the rest of the AAC because I feel like Frank and Devin are really starting to get that connection. And look, this intercept that interception that happened, we'll talk about again as well too here here in a sec, but. It just feels like when he's looking for a bigger play, when he's looking for, you know, a jolt early in the game, Frank looks at Devin.
0: Yep. So talk a little bit about Tykee. Apparently, we can only throw 40-yard passes to Tykee. I mean, I guess that's (laughs) that's his thing now. He now has four touchdown receptions this season. All four of them are over 40 yards. He had a 46-yard touchdown reception against Army, 43 yards to Tennessee. I mean, of course, a lot of that was the run after catch, but yeah, 40 yards at Temple, and now 42 yards at FAU. Like, apparently it's 40 yards or nothing with Tyke.
1: Feast or famine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, to me, that Tennessee touchdown is going to stick out to me because of the fact of just just the way he, he pulled that off. It mm-hmm. was unlike a Tyke touchdown that we've seen before. These other ones have been him pretty much streaking down the field, and he catches it kind of in stride and takes it in. That was more of a caught it on a post, stopped, made a move past the defender and went. But look, I'm not taking anything away. I mean, it's, you know, it's impressive to see the fact that he has, we're finally getting to see a tie key that can really be productive in this offense. A couple of the stats to throw out to you guys. Uh, we scored on six out of 13 drives. It's less than, you know, UAB, but... You know, one thing to, to note here is that, in the second half, it looked like, and then confirmed by Jeff Trailer in this post-game, that he did kind of let his foot off the gas in the second half. I wasn't a fan of it. You know, I think when it comes to tiebreakers later on, when we we're talking about conference title games, obviously, UTSA is gonna position itself within the next few games and the rest of the season to be able to go to the conference title game. Now, will it host, will it not? You know, that that's still up in the air, but to get to these you know, some of these tiebreakers, the thing is, SMU, we've talked about the fact that they aren't necessarily like going to be challenged very much.
0: Yeah, they have a cakewalk of the schedule. I mean, really Memphis is the only team that likely could challenge them.
1: Yeah, and so what I really feel is that when we're looking at UTSA and how they perform against some of these teams, the reason I kind of I really want them to keep their foot on the gas is because the CFP rankings are what's gonna determine these tiebreakers. And if UTSA isn't, and I don't wanna make it seem like I'm asking them to run up the scores because it's really not running up the scores, it's you executing your offense, continue attacking there's a lot of schools of thought, you know, should you continue attacking? Should you be so aggressive? What if we start turning the ball over? There's always going to be questions of how how you do what you do, but I don't like what they did in Boca Raton. And the reason for that is because I really feel like if they leave any points on the table and FAU really starts playing better as the season goes on, we're, you know, we could potentially regret the fact that we didn't put a few more points on FAU. A right. team that... Like I said, it was very evenly matched. And I, I thought this, you know, I can't say it enough. I, I'm just surprised at how it how everything went down here. I mean, we'll talk real quick about the running backs. I mean, even split on yards there. I yeah. mean, it felt like, you know, 56 yards from Kavorian, 53 each from, you know, Robert Henry and Rocco Griffin. Couldn't ask any more from the running backs. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's just, again, putting up more points. getting Keeping the rock going. Keeping this... You know this FAU defense on the field.
0: So we got to uh, talk about those interceptions, yeah. with Frank.
1: Okay. Well, before we do that though, <laughs> you did notice that you felt like Frank was sliding better.
0: Oh yeah, I well, so he as he was running, <laughs> he was he was kind of sliding. I mean, certainly he he has never been able to slide the way that other quarterbacks can, which has always been problematic with his you know knee injuries. But um, it, he was. Looked like he was trying to slide a little bit and um I know you disagreed with me.
1: I disagree. It feels like a more of an old man kind of scoot and kind of slow fall to the ground. I mean he's old, right? Like, I mean we talk about how old Frank Harris is, so why not take a little shot at him? That's
0: right. And, I mean
1: 24 but, is ancient in college football <laughs> years. I mean, in college football years, yeah. I mean <laughs> he's been there seven years, right? But I think it's to to really I guess to be a little more serious. It is good to see that he's given himself up more. Right. Which, it keeps the hits off him. And if he does get hit, there's certainly penalty flags that will come out.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've now had the second game in a row where someone has gotten called for targeting against Frank.
1: Yeah. And, you know, obviously different situations. You know, UAB, he was running this one. He threw a pass to Devin McCune. Um, But regardless... What I never really liked was the fact that Frank would just, and I don't want to say that it was reckless because it really isn't, but it's just his aggressive way of running and he just should have looked for, you know, again, to slide. We, right. We talked about I it for the last couple of years. I he's more
0: conscious now of not taking those hits and getting hurt. You what know? sucks
1: about it, though, is it feels like it took, a you know, essentially an injury to his foot right. for them to get to this point. Um, so anyway... Let, yeah, let's talk about those interceptions. Um, you know, the first one was kind of weird because Trailer immediately after the game said, Oh, yeah, no, that was essentially on, we, we ran the wrong route. So yeah, it was on,
0: basically Mc- it was on Devin McEwen.
1: Yeah, he ran, ran the wrong route, which is bizarre because it looks like it's just a kind of a streak down the sideline. I mean, unless he's supposed to have the inside position, I, I'm not really sure what. Frank would have been throwing to, because it looked like it was just a bomb down the field. Really, you know, obviously, like I said, I think Devin was supposed to have the inside position, but he couldn't get it when it came you know, playing against that corner. But usually, and, and even the announcer said it, you throw on the outside near the sideline to essentially kind of protect yourself from leaving a ball hanging in the middle, because mm-hmm. if you leave a ball hanging in the middle of the field, it's going to get intercepted.
0: Right. I mean, that second one got tipped, popped right in the defender's hands like I get that although they had the exact same play in the fourth quarter and I had to hold my breath because like here you are you're I don't know on the five six yard line something like that and you're throwing that same pass to Cephas that just got picked off but you know that one it worked and so it was fine but gave me pause for a minute
1: yeah, and, and you wonder why it didn't maybe work a little bit earlier. But, you know, there were some things that went wrong during that play. And you kind of wish that Frank at that point wasn't didn't get too robotic and just make the throw anyway. Mm-hmm. Because that's what he did against Middle Tennessee, and that's how he got an interception last season against Middle Tennessee. And it got returned for a touchdown. Because he just went, at, to me, he was what I call it, robot mode, where he just, just throws, let's go of the ball, just throws it no matter what. It's like, nah, we'll still figure it out. Like no, that's not that's not what we should be doing, Frank. Right. But all this to say, really, that it's just there's some nitpicking here. Sure. Um, and it was kind of interesting hearing the announcer say that you know the defense played great, special teams were great, but there was things to clean up on offense. You know, with Frank here, sure, sure. Yeah. But it, I mean, did you really feel like that would like? this offensive performance really needs a lot to clean up on.
0: No, not a lot. I mean certainly you don't want to make these kinds of mistakes though because had things gone the other way on defense, they might have been costly. You know, but fortunately, we were able to overcome adversity, stay focused and you know, I think it's a testament to Frank because we've seen him get in these situations where he has multiple turnovers and he gets in his own head and kind of gets in his own way and can't recover from it. And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was concerned, because this happened early in the game. You know, I was hoping that he could kind of blow past it, stay focused, and fortunately that's what happened.
1: Yeah, and, and really, I think to wrap it up, I mean, I, I think we, we nitpicked this on yeah. Frank. Um, we nitpicked this on the offense, you know, not, you know not, not being as maybe as sharp as maybe as we would right. have liked but man, we're going to take this performance any day because of the fact sure. that you really did have all three phases playing well and in a complete game.
0: Let's talk about East Carolina. UTSA opens as an 18-point favorite. I think that's being a little generous to East Carolina, to be honest. I mean, we've seen several of their games. Most recently, we watched them play against Charlotte. And uh, that was not a great game.
1: It was an awful game. <laughs> it was just awful. You think it's generous that they're given eighteen points, but let me tell you, like East Carolina looked awful against Charlotte. Um, they lost ten to seven. their offense was just abysmal and Charlotte is running essentially like a high school option offense I mean it's it is they're bad,
0: yeah
1: yet. They just seem to be much more cohesive on offense than East Carolina did. Yeah. And look, uh, you know, I think that that's that's what the betters are looking at because they saw this performance by ECU on homecoming in Greenville.
0: Well, I know that's why I think the point spread should be more like a twenty-five point spread favoring UTSA, <laughs> not I, eighteen I just, points.
1: Yeah, I, I'm just baffled. Uh, you know. I didn't know until we started looking into this how many players they had lost, but, uh, you know, maybe you can give us some more on some of the issues that they've been having.
0: Yeah, I mean, this team is struggling. They did have to uh, replace some key players, particularly their quarterback, Holton Eilers, who was a five-year starting quarterback. He's on the practice squad now for the Seattle Seahawks. So obviously a quarterback who was, you know, playing at a fairly high caliber, And they just have not been able to replace him. They also have a lot of issues on special teams. I mean, at the end of the day, they haven't beaten an FBS team
1: this season. Yeah. I mean, they're just not good. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: post-game, it was interesting looking at the response of ECU's head coach compared to Tom Herman and his responses to FAU and their loss because both of them made a comment about finger pointing, and I just thought it was sort of interesting and kind of where, maybe where their their heads are at at this point in the season. Um, the ECU coach said, we're not going to point fingers, whatever's going wrong, it starts with me as, as the coach, I would have to figure this out, while Tom Herman said, it's okay to point fingers if someone isn't playing up to standard, but you better have your house in order. So it was just kind of interesting to see sort of where they're at, you know, where, again, I think they're probably in a much tougher situation in ECU and people maybe wanting to turn on each other because, you know, the quarterback play is not working, the play calling isn't working, the nothing's working, yeah. working.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, but I, I think at we listened to the post-game press conference um, for the ECU Charlotte game and Coach Mike Houston, who's East Carolina's coach sounded very trailer-like because mm-hmm. he said it's, it's on know. me he was down he was like it's on me I need to have these guys prepared and you know he apologized to the team it's 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 very you know southern coach kind of speak I would say but I would al- I would also kind of add the fact that it looked like he just didn't have any answers right. and that you know there's a hopelessness there when you're looking at the team and going I don't know what we can do so Um, let's talk about the offense.
0: Yeah, it really all starts with their offense. They are averaging less than 20 points per game. They go three and out on their possessions about a third of the time. They are ranked 127th in the nation with an average of 276 yards per game. And again, the big piece of this is because they have not figured out the quarterback play. Instead of going to the transfer portal to replace – Um, Holton Eilers, they looked internal and they had two quarterbacks on their roster that I guess they thought were going to be able to step up and just really haven't. Um, So you're going to see two quarterbacks play. They've been rotating them, trying to get some kind of spark, but um, nothing's worked at this point. Um, Mason Garcia is the redshirt sophomore. This is his fourth season. And then Alex Flynn is the other quarterback that they've been playing. He's a redshirt junior in his fifth season, but he didn't play at all 2019, 2020, or 2021 and had very limited snaps in 2022. Mason Garcia at least started one game in 2020 when um, Ayers was out sick with COVID and got some playing time behind him um, over the last couple of years. But the problem with Mason Garcia is he is not comfortable passing. And when he does, he only completes about 50% of his passes. He's really much more comfortable as a rusher, and he is actually the team's second-leading rusher.
1: <laughs> it's a problem when you're not comfortable passing the ball as a quarterback. Right. Like that's that's just the epitome of what the quarterback is going to do. And in this day and age of offenses, you need a guy that can throw. Right.
0: Alex Flynn, on the other hand, was described as kind of a change of pace quarterback, which I've heard that used for running backs, but not quarterbacks. (laughs) But he's much more comfortable passing, but he's not much better than Mason Garcia. He just, both of them are completing about 50% of the passes. Flynn just has more attempts to get to 50%. Um, Both of these guys have more, well... Yeah, they both have more interceptions than touchdowns, passing touchdowns this season. Um, Alex Flynn has two touchdowns and six interceptions. Mason Garcia has one passing touchdown, two interceptions, but he did add two rushing touchdowns to that. (laughs) But again, they just haven't figured out this quarterback play, and until they do that, they're going to continue to struggle on offense. And to make matters worse, their offensive line only returned one starter. So they have an offensive line that's struggling to hold up. They have two quarterbacks that are struggling to pass. It's not a good combo.
1: But you would think, and I think this is the problem here, is that you would think that you would kind of tailor an offense around the lack of experience on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Like a, a quick, short passing game. Sure. But you don't see that. It right. looks like they're looking at deeper passes. Maybe that was also just against Charlotte cause Charlotte's not a very good defense, but it was just odd to me that they didn't have that. Um, but they, they do have a couple weapons.
0: Yeah, and well, <laughs> they have two wide receivers um, that are their top two receivers, although, again, they're, they're not really getting utilized very much. Chase Sowell, he's a freshman wide receiver from Umble. 6'2", he has 25 receptions for 295 yards. Jalen Johnson is a senior wide receiver, also 6'2", he has 25 receptions for 236 yards. But again, when either of your quarterbacks is completing more than 50% of their passes, it doesn't really matter how good your wide receivers are.
1: I mean, you're struggling just to say nice things here because, yeah. I mean, the, the quarterback play, even with some of these passes, it, the inaccuracy is just It really is bad.
0: Yeah, they also have uh, Ray J. Harris, who is a junior running back. 76 carries for 249 yards and four touchdowns. Again, when you look at his um, rushing yards compared to Mason Garcia, it's not significantly more. (laughs) Um, On defense, um, brighter story. They return six starters on defense. And statistically, if you look at their defense, they're actually... Pretty
1: good. They are, yeah, surprisingly.
0: They're certainly the strength of the team right now. They're ranked 28th with 329 yards allowed, 210 yards passing, 119 yards rushing. They allow third-down conversions only about 37% of the time.
1: Yeah, and they're stopping offenses at a slightly better rate than UTSA's defense. I, I would say, though, the problem is is that they get put in some bad situations because of that bad offense. Right. So, I mean... It, Asking them to to make more stops, uh, you know, it's just putting them in really bad, bad spots. I mean,
0: you go back to the offensive stat that I gave you of the offense going three and out a third of the time. I mean, this defense is spending a lot of time on the field.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: But here's some of those key players to look for. Jeremy Lewis, he's a senior linebacker. He's their best pass rusher, their best coverage linebacker. Um, Julius Wood is a senior defensive back. He's leading their team in solo tackles. Got an interception against Charlotte. Um, And then Chad Stevens on defensive line is a junior. He has one and a half sacks, um, 22 tackles, and four tackles for loss.
1: It's an East Carolina defense that if it had a slightly better offense, I I mean, this would be, a I would say, a spicier matchup and something that we probably anticipated that East Carolina would be like Mm -hmm. in the summer but man you just gotta you gotta help out your defense some way and they're just not um special teams uh, you talked about how inconsistent they were um the kicker is 61 percent on field goals made this year
0: yeah and and he's sort of been all really the 30s that's kind of like his sweet spot he's missed a field goal in the 20s He's missed three field goals in the 40s. He missed a 50, you know, just over a 50-yarder. And he's missed an extra point. So not very consistent.
1: Just sporadic. Sporadic. Like you said before, when we, we started this preview, it's you've just got a team that's got so many issues in so many spots. It's It was hard to come up with some good things to say about East Carolina here. But I will say this defense is probably not as big of an issue. Um, and you know something worth to watch out for so let's get to the keys to victory on offense for UTSA yes, I talked about how good this defense was for East Carolina, but I think one of the keys is to grind them down with the three running back attack, you know One of the biggest things that you can do especially for a defense that is pretty tough is to keep them on the field mm-hmm. you just talked about one of the issues that they have is probably keeping this defense on the field too much Welcome to San Antonio, East Carolina, because you're running into an offense that's running pretty hot right now, one that's got their rushing game going, and Frank is really just kind of feeding off of that rushing attack. He's able to essentially play action off of it and get some more time to you know, extend drives because he's also not really trying to chunk down the field. It goes back to some of these West Coast techniques we had, kind of shorter passes and just extending drives and keeping a defense on the field Um, on defense though UTSA needs to stay stay aware of these errant passes uh, in order to create turnovers I say that because against Charlotte some of these passes I I just really felt like the way that UTSA defense has been playing even when it hasn't been at its best it's just ripe for interceptions Mm -hmm. I mean Their quarterbacks just are not doing a very good job when it comes to delivering the ball. You highlighted it. I'm highlighting it now again because it's just not a situation where this East Carolina team can afford to be having a lot of turnovers. But I really feel like UTSA's defense can get these turnovers. So let's go to our predictions. I'll let you go first this time.
0: All right. The spread may only be 18, but this is a game that UTSA should run away with. There's no reason that UTSA cannot bully East Carolina, both on offense and defense. I expect to see UTSA run the ball more in this game. I'm not going to be surprised to see Robert Henry break off a long run for a touchdown. If UTSA plays well in the first half, I think we'll see Owen or Eddie or both in the second half. So I'm going to go big on this prediction. Oh. Give me UTSA 41-10. to 10.
1: Ooh, look at you. It's
0: going to be a wonderful homecoming.
1: (laughs) All right. On the other side, the Toves here says, this feels like a trap homecoming game. (laughs) You know, I watch ECU play, and especially against Charlotte, their offense is awful. And I've spent, I don't know how many times, and you spent right now a bit of time talking about how awful their offense is. This means there's quite a few things in UTSA's favor, which in the trailer era usually means that the score doesn't match the dominance. Um, I expect UTSA's defense to dominate ECU's line um, and overwhelm their overmatched quarterbacks. I also think that this means that there's going to be opportunities for turnovers aplenty in this game. Give me about 3-plus in this game from the UTSA defense. I do feel, though, that East Carolina's defense will initially cause some offensive sputtering. But even that defense can't hold on against you know, against some short fields that are gonna be caused by ECU's offensive issues. I know it's not gonna look like it, but UTSA would take care of business against this bad East Carolina team. Give me UTSA thirty-four to six over East Carolina.
0: Before we go, let's talk about some of the other games in the American Conference this weekend. Tulane escaped North Texas thirty-five to twenty eight. Yes. You heard that right. Escaped North Texas. They were up twenty-one to zero at halftime, and let North Texas come back, scoring twenty-one points in the third quarter. I think if North Texas had been just a little bit better, they might have pulled off the upset.
1: They were just at times awful on third and fourth down. It just it didn't make mm-hmm. sense to me, like some of the some of the play calling. Even that last drive they had, uh, it was on fourth down. They um. They essentially had like two guys almost in the same spot and uh, Chandler Rogers threw to that area, but it just felt very North Texas because the guys like kind of fell on the ground and the defender was able to deflect the ball, but still it was, it, it just wasn't well executed, like wasn't well buttoned up. It's just North Texas still has a lot of work to do. Right.
0: Um, uh, Memphis beat UAB at 45 to 21. Jacob Zeno was out with a concussion um they played two quarterbacks they looked okay at first but they ended up having four turnovers three interceptions and a fumble and that's clearly a little too much to be able to overcome against a team like Memphis even though Memphis wasn't really playing well
1: you know the Memphis UAB game kind of reminded me of the UTSA UAB game where you know UAB kind of came out with a little bit of energy mm-hmm. but against UTSA they you know they gave up that early turnover so you know, UTSA got to snowball the, the score a little bit, whereas with Memphis, you know, UAB was just going shot for shot. It's just a shame there wasn't anybody for UAB to actually see them play, because
0: yeah.
1: I, I thought, I think if they had had more of a crowd and more energy, things might have gone a different way.
0: Yeah. SMU annihilated Temple 55-0. to EJ Warner was out again a second week with a concussion, and the level of drop-off on quarterback play between him and I think it's Quincy Patterson who's his backup is yeah. just, it's significant.
1: It reminds you of the old UTSA days, right? Like you lose a starter and it was like, oof. Yeah. It's me ha- having to go out there and try to dress up as quarterback and I'm awful at quarterback at the college level, so.
0: And uh, Rice had a big win over Tulsa, 42-10. to
1: There was a just amazing touchdown throw. Uh, that uh, JT Daniels threw to uh, Luke McCaffrey, the window is NFL level. It was incredibly impressive, and I I, I know that the listeners aren't going to get this, but I will say, I went up to Atos and I kept going, let me show you how tight that window was, which she didn't appreciate, but... uh, (laughs) You know, honestly, it was, I just want to make sure that she understood, because if she sees this, she's going to be like, wow, that, that is a great throw. And, you know, to be honest with you, um, you know, the, the Rice game is getting a little spicier. Yeah, uh, definitely. When, when it comes up on the UTSA schedule here in a few games. but Yeah, uh, if
0: JT Daniels can stay healthy, it's going uh, yeah, to be interesting. And if
1: he can get some time, um, yeah, he, he might expose UTSA's defense.
0: All right, let's talk a little bit about volleyball. Game one against Tulane, they won in three straight sets. Game two went to four sets, but UTSA came away with two victories this weekend against Tulane. That brought them to eleven and eleven on the season, four and seven in conference.
1: Lots of good improvement. I mean you, you love to see it from any of the athletic teams, but seeing some of these teams that were kind of kinda of went down and now are kind of rebounding from, you know, some of this you know, just kind of being on the low ends of the conference, uh, it's great to see.
0: They are on the road for their next two games. Uh, They play 1 p.m. on Friday against Memphis and noon on Sunday against FAU. Both games are on ESPN Plus if you get a chance to watch. Soccer tied FAU 0-0 on senior night. What a heartbreaker. UTSA had, I think, 11 shots on goal. Just not enough to make it in.
1: They did. They had a lot of opportunities, but as much as you keep watching this team... You know, it just keeps getting frustrating because they're very good in their own third of the field, in the middle third of the field, but it's like once they get to this, the last third of the field in the attacking area, it's, they just they just don't have the precision on their passes to really set up some easy shots. And, and that's a shame because this team, I think, is really talented. And that was one of the things that we kind of talked about at the beginning of the year was mm-hmm. potentially this team is going to be... A lot better, which it is, but the record's not going to reflect it.
0: They lost to South Florida um, 0-1 in their last home game at Park West. Uh, With this loss, UTSA appears to be eliminated from conference tournament. They are 6-7-4 on the season, 1-4-3 in conference. They'll have an opportunity to close out their season at 6 p.m. on Thursday against Rice. That game is also on ESPN+.
1: Uh, The South Florida one, I will say, the goal that South Florida scored was really weak. Because what it really came down to was just what looked like a bad foul. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think it should have been called, but it was. And, you know, UTSA's defense just didn't have, they didn't keep their concentration up at the very end. So, hopefully against Rice, they're able to come through with, you know, put a few goals in and end on the high note.
0: All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us on the Hail Married podcast. I'm Atoves. I'm the Toves. We'll be back next week to recap our big homecoming win against ECU.
1: Bird's up.